0: The following program was pre-recorded, and the views expressed do not necessarily represent those of this station or its management. We
1: don't need no education.
0: We don't need no thought control.
2: Get ready to take notes, because school is now in session. Tackling the biggest issues in education, this is Education America. Save the classroom, save the country. Here are your hosts, Headmaster Rebecca Hagstrom and co host Mark Durkin.
0: And welcome again to Education America, where we are taking steps to save the classroom so that we can save the country. Come along with us every Saturday night here on AM 1280 The Patriot at 6 o'clock, where K-12 education is the playing field. And as the 16th President Abraham Lincoln so rightly stated, he said, The philosophy of the schoolroom in one generation will be the philosophy of government in the next. I'm Mark Durkin, once again joined by my co-host and founder of Liberty Classical Academy, Rebecca Hagstrom. In Lincoln's truthful statement, it's ringing louder with each passing year. And here in Minnesota, there is a concerted effort underway from Governor Waltz's administration to forever link racial identity with America's history. We're talking about the Minnesota Department of Education's proposal to replace the current social studies standards for K-12 students.
2: Yes, and joining us again tonight to help us understand the specifics found in those proposed social studies standards are Katherine Kirsten and Katrin Wigfall. Katherine Kirsten is a senior policy fellow at Center of the American Experiment. She's also a writer, an attorney, and has served as a Metro columnist for the Star Tribune from 2005 to 2008. She also has served as an opinion columnist for the paper between 1996 and 2013. Catherine was a founding director of the center and served as its chair from 1996 to 1998.
0: And Catherine Wigfall is a policy fellow at Center of the American Experiment. She's also the director of Educated Teachers Minnesota in Employee Freedom Minnesota. Catherine spent two years teaching fifth grade general education and sixth grade Latin in Arizona as a teacher, or rather as a Teach for America Corps member before using her classroom experience to transition back into the education policy work that is so important today. Catherine and Katrin, thank you both again for joining us tonight to discuss this very timely topic. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, so let's just jump right in where we left off last week. And, Katrin, um, we're talking about the process of revising the social studies standards uh, last week. That's kind of where we ended. Um, but we know that in doing this, that it's not going to do anything to reduce the achievement gap between students of color and white students, which we know is one of the largest in the nation. Um, Highlight for us the academic free fall amongst Minnesota students and speak to the devastating impact that COVID-related shutdowns have had on students
3: freefall is a great way to put it Rebecca because we've really seen in Minnesota that test results from well over a decade ago reveal a familiar pattern a pattern of either stagnant or in decline academic outcomes and then of course an achievement gap that won't budge despite mm-hmm. the state consistently spending more and more dollars on its education system and we can see these you know really kind of uh, <laughs> hard to hard to grasp test results and hard to understand understand test results with all of the money going into education um, with the 2019 test results, which are the most recent available because <clears throat> excuse me, we see that out of the students assessed, nearly 45% aren't performing at grade level in math and nearly 41% aren't reading at grade level. And these results are even more discouraging when you break it down by race and ethnicity, um, and it's not just limited to students of color. We have nearly 53% of white students who aren't proficient in math, mm-hmm. and I think it's important to note that it's also not just confined to race either. Low-income white students significantly trail their higher-income peers across the state, and. To put this into context, we can look at how Minnesota students perform on the National Assessment of Educational Progress, the NAEP test, compared to students in other states and get an idea of how Minnesota students are doing. And when we look at a state like Mississippi that, you know, tends to uh, get looked down upon mm-hmm. as, for a number of reasons, but this state spends 45% less per student And its black and Hispanic students outperform Minnesota's black and Hispanic students in both reading and math. Hmm. And what's even more telling is that Mississippi serves a larger student body of students of color. They have nearly 49 percent of their student body is comprised of black students compared to Minnesota's nearly 11%. And we also see that they are helping their students grow academically in a way that Minnesota isn't. Mississippi test scores for black students have been scaling up over the years compared to Minnesota's declining scores and inconsistent growth among its black Mm -hmm.
2: students. You know, that is really shocking, isn't it? You're right that people, especially, well, those of us from Minnesota anyway, we think of our education system as being one of the top in the nation. And we know that Mm -hmm. it has been declining over the last, you know, 20 years, really. Uh, Actually, in some respects, since the 1960s. But we still would consider our state to have a better education system overall than a lot of the southern states where you, excuse me, you hear, that their school systems are not up to par, and so it is, it does really make it interesting to note that a state like Mississippi would be outperforming Minnesota um, on their minority uh, students' test scores. That's really mm-hmm. it's really interesting, and I hope some Minnesotan you know people from the Department of Ed are actually looking at what is Mississippi doing. And uh, wanting to mimic that.
3: Right, absolutely. And and you mentioned COVID, too, and the role that uh, COVID-related shutdowns have had on students. And we're likely going to see that our academic performance has been exacerbated by school closures, limited in-person instruction, limited, students limited to distance learning. And then even when schools did open, a lot of these public schools that were uh, closed during COVID, closed in the sense that they didn't offer in-person instruction. A lot of them served large bodies of students of color, and when they did open toward the end of the year, many families of color stayed in distance learning. So mm-hmm. we have to think through what the toll that is going to have on student mm-hmm. academic performance. We know that limited and lack of in-person instruction has not only affected students academically but also socially and emotionally. Mm-hmm. There have been a lot of studies that have have shown that, and we're still Still trying to identify and weigh the full effects of COVID-related school closures. So Mm -hmm. there's a lot more that needs to be uh, dug into and researched on this, but we know that our our students are paying the price.
0: Mm -hmm. I'm going to turn to to Catherine Kirsten here. You know, you you briefly alluded to a little bit last week, uh, just in terms of what indoctrination in identity politics would look like in the classrooms. Let's, for example, uh, take a look at what Minnesota parents can expect, say, for their five-year-old child in kindergarten. You know, what uh, will they be exposed to under the 2020 proposed standards if they were to be adopted, as they are now, compared to what uh, they are learning currently?
1: Well, you, you look at kindergartners, first graders, uh, you see uh, that first graders uh, under these standards uh, would be expected to quote, learn to recognize stereotypes, biased speech and injustice <laughs> at the institutional or systemic level. This is kindergarten. This is kindergarten. Yeah, yeah. Uh, kindergarten <laughs> students uh, currently uh, are required to learn about the Pledge of Allegiance, and in, in first grade, kids learn about American flag etiquette. Uh, under the uh, proposed standards in their current form, that is all dropped. Mm-hmm. Instead, kindergartners would be required to quote describe symbols, songs, and traditions that identify Minnesota's Anishinaabe and Dakota tribes and communities, wow. the state, and and mm-hmm. The, the nation. Mm-hmm. So uh, one thing I think we alluded to last time is the, the hugely outsized influence of activist Native American perspectives uh, in these standards. It's mm-hmm. really quite
2: shocking. Mm-hmm. That is really quite shocking when you consider the age group of these kids. Um, you know, we use the term indoctrination, and there used to be a day when if you used that term to reference some of the curriculum changes that have been taking place, quite frankly, over the last several decades here in Minnesota and across the nation, people would have looked at you like you were from outer space if you called it indoctrination. And now it's becoming so blatant that there's really no other word for it. Right. Correct. Yeah. So how about fourth grade, Catherine? What can parents anticipate for their fourth grade children to be exposed to? Well, under?
1: If you look at sort of the, the middle school age, uh, uh, the the emphasis on identity being a function of, of skin color uh, simply grows over time. Uh, when, when it comes to Native American matters for, uh, I believe it's fourth graders, uh, the current draft says that when they study states and capitals... In American geography generally, they must learn the the names of the tribes uh, that in, at once inhabited the areas uh, where these oh my capitals are are located. And of course, throughout, there's a focus on studying the goals and the tactics of left wing political. Activists. So fifth graders, for example, required to, quote, investigate how groups, women, religious groups, civil rights groups, indigenous peoples, LBTGPTQ, have advocated for greater for access to greater rights. And the same thing for sixth graders, especially anti-war, and, you know, on and on, uh, learning about uh, political activism, the goals and tactics. And as we approach high school, kids uh, must actually use those, demonstrate they can use those. tactics themselves. Right. They understand them.
2: Yeah. And that's one of the things I noticed when I was um, listening to the meeting and then also taking a look at the draft standards is activism is definitely one of their goals, even from the youngest ages, even in the elementary school years. You know, again, it's using these social studies standards as a way to not just indoctrinate, but then to try to activate kids and um, you know they've got them writing letters to legislators as young as mm-hmm. isn't it like first grade, grade even I think or yeah, third grade yeah. okay yeah really near somewhere yeah really shocking.
0: How about what would be expected of high school students, Catherine?
1: Well, uh, I think Catherine mentioned last week the fact that these students will learn that America's westward expansion of the 19th century was the result of quote whiteness Christianity. And capitalism and of course is seen as empire building and colonialism and we really see in high school a major emphasis on learning uh, goals and tactics uh, strategies of activist groups so for example high schoolers must study sexual identity activist campaigns and Mm. exhibit what they call quote a respectful awareness while ideas and norms about gender have changed over time, and, and these are supposed to be measurable standards right. that kids must meet in order to graduate from high school. There's no test, but that's but that's the the requirement. So you, you see, in those like this, uh, the students must take action to affect policy on historically marginalized communities of color and indigenous. They take action to affect policy. Yeah. requiring that in order for kids to graduate from high school.
2: Unbelievable. Mm. Yeah. So, again, that activism just grows, really, from maybe writing a letter here and there. But um, by the time they're in high school, they, they're they requiring that at a higher level. Um, Katrin, if the proposed standards are adopted, the amount of harm that will come to Minnesota K-12 students is, as you both have put it, incalculable. What types of effects do you believe the standards would have on relationships between children? And who do you think stands to suffer the most? Well,
3: there's no doubt that the the relationships between children would suffer because when you push students to view themselves and others through the limiting lens of race or oppression or victimhood that is the very opposite of, of helping students form their minds and their character which of course education should aspire to and that's extremely harmful to student relationships because mm-hmm. when you tell students that they should fixate on the negative that can only turn students into really tokens of oppression versus when you have a, a more positive approach that helps celebrate who students are without dividing them against their peers. So we've even heard from from parents and teachers that things going on in Minnesota classrooms are extremely divisive because they pit students against each other in oppressed versus oppressor groups and students will pay the price, not only academically. But I really see that they'll be limited on on further developing into, you know, responsible, enlightened, and civic-minded adults and members of society.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, and that's so important for the future. It's really it's shocking to me how short-sighted this all seems, um, mm-hmm. you know. And and you you've got to wonder: is the ultimate goal the just the destruction of our of our republic. Um, You know, it's hard not to start going down that path when you really see the destruction that this is causing um, in children.
3: Mm. Because when you when you engage in efforts to change society culturally and socially, then you have a a cultural revolution that has occurred with without any violence, right? Without any bloodshed, because you are changing and reshaping teachers and students' attitudes, behaviors and beliefs and Mm -hmm. that is a prime example of
2: indoctrination. Yes, yes. So well put. Yeah.
0: And you know, Catherine, we hear so much too, I and mean, we've been talking about you know the kids in the classroom. We've been talking about uh, the players that are in this in terms of revising these standards. I mean, we don't talk much about the teachers. I mean, how does a shift like this from education to indoctrination? How does that harm teachers in our to schools?
3: I think it'll have a devastating impact on on teachers, especially teachers who recognize that dividing students by skin color is is so harmful and, and divisive. I mean, we place so many burdens on teachers today and if they are pressured or, or even forced in some instances to teach this revisionist history or to teach really through this this race based lens, that puts them in an extremely difficult and challenging position. And I know that there are many teachers who want to teach students how to think versus what to think. And we see this culture revolution in classrooms, leaving teachers worried that they'll lose their job if they don't admit their whiteness, if they are left worried that they'll be called a, a racist for holding all their students to high expectations. And so, of course, all of this is really not conducive to a healthy learning environment, right. either for the student
2: or for the teacher. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you're right. I, I do think it's important for our listeners to know that um, if teachers aren't speaking out, it isn't necessarily because they agree with all of this, uh, that there really is that uh, that pressure to not speak up. And that's part of the problem.
3: Mm -hmm. And we want to, at American Experiment, we want to support teachers and school leaders and school board members who are pushing back against this and recognizing that it's harmful, and we want to provide them resources to do so in a way that, you know, doesn't put them in in harm's way of of losing their job or that sort of thing, Um, a good Place to look is school policy on a lot of curriculum and instructional materials mm-hmm. and so if we if there are you know teachers and, and school leaders listening who just don't know how to start pushing back on this or who to turn to you know please reach out to us at american experiments and we would be happy to provide you with resources and connect you with other teachers and school leaders who are finding themselves in a similar position
2: mm-hmm. oh i'm glad you mentioned that that's great So, Catherine, let's talk about how this ideology is really a fatal threat to our democratic way of life. Uh, What will happen if, as you put it, Americans fail to grasp the realities of comparative history?
1: Well, uh, the way I've put it is that... uh waltz's appointees want to cut down the tree of western civilization mm-hmm. but they still want it its fruits that is not going to happen it was historian uh daniel boorstin who said that if, if americans cannot grasp or don't grasp the realities of, of comparative world history, you know, flawed human beings over time, he said that we will be left with nothing but abstractions, nothing but mm-hmm. baseless utopias, in his words, to compare ourselves with. And he says it's only real examples from our past that helps us shape the standards of what is possible for human beings. So uh, you see in in the uh, the proposed standards in their current form, that this is is not being done in in any respect. For example, students are required in these standards to learn nothing about World War II. Mm. Why? Well, it seems to me in part because uh, the role that we played in winning the war, in in the D-Day invasion, and defeating the Third Reich, makes America look uh, heroic. Uh, This this does not pass the the test for them. (laughs) cannot allow students to see America in that light, and that's why they teach nothing about uh, the the terrible things that have happened elsewhere. Uh, You know, the Soviet gulags, uh, mm-hmm. the Chinese culture revolution, as Katwin says, the Nazi Holocaust, the September 11th terror attacks, the, uh, the ongoing 13th century Arab and African slave trade, mm-hmm. because that would introduce complexity into and, and cause students to think, mm-hmm. and this is right. not something that they can afford.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That is just... Really discouraging, isn't it? You know, you mentioned in, in your answering that question that the walls appointees seek to cut down, uh, the, the tree of Western civilization, but they, they want to keep the fruit. What do you think makes them so naive to think that they could cut down the tree of Western civilization and keep the fruit? It seems so obvious to well, those does. of us on the it, other side. It, 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 I think that's, that's largely because these, these folks do, do not
1: think in terms of evidence and uh, fact-based investigation of the truth. They are interested in power. And mm-hmm. uh, to the extent you can tear down American institutions, and you take the moral high ground. You know, as a utopian, mm-hmm. uh, you get to redraw these institutions. And where will you be in that hierarchy? I suspect pretty close to the top. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, we, we've seen this same impulse in twentieth-century history in very disturbing ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, uh, obviously, this goes well beyond what we're facing now. But the Chinese Cultural Revolution—nobody apparently stopped to think yeah. <laughs> right the fact that, you know, many, many millions of people would die mm-hmm. uh, because it was all, well, to some extent about power, it was about utopian uh, longings. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. That's a good point.
0: Uh, let's turn our focus here a little bit uh, to the teachers' unions. They've been in the news quite a bit uh, lately. Katrin, the, the two national teachers' unions, they're vowing to defend their members against the growing resistance to critical race theory, whether they want to be uh, defended or not. The National Education Association initially said that they would research the organizations that were attacking educators doing anti-racist work and put together a list of resources and recommendations for state affiliates, locals, and individual educators to utilize when they are attacked. But then on Wednesday of this past week, the NEA quietly took down their pro-CRT agenda items from the union's website. So speak for us, if you would, to really the crucial role that parents have in resisting this racial identity politics that are trying to make their way into the classroom.
3: Well, first off, I think it's important to note that the National Teachers Union's involvement on this issue absolutely kills the argument on the left that critical race theory is limited to higher education and (laughs) to law schools and that sort of thing. this, This messaging and this push is to get CRT and its related And uh, efforts and identity politics in general into all K 12 classrooms across all 50 states. So that argument uh, can no longer be used, Mm -hmm. and it is. Uh, I guess not. shouldn't be surprising that the NEA you know, took down the items from their annual meeting mentioning this, given all of the feedback. But it's out there now, mm-hmm. and parents are aware of it. Teachers who are union members and maybe don't agree with this messaging are aware of it. But to speak about parents in particular, I think, is important because we have really seen not only in Minnesota, but across the country, the grassroots activism, uh, parent involvement, both of these are so key in pushing back against these harmful ideas. And because parents are their children's first teachers, mm-hmm. right, and, and their role is not limited to just being a parent at home, but being involved in school too. And parents have a lot of rights when it comes to fighting for their children's education, rights that many parents don't know they have, before they step through that schoolhouse door and even after their child is inside the classroom. Mm -hmm. So I think it's so important for parents to get involved because it really starts with parents going to the people who are on the front lines of this, right? And that's the children. Mm -hmm. Ask your children about what they are reading in class, what they are discussing, what books are being read to them. Uh, Teach them to know what should and should not be taught in school. Teach them to know your family's values and principles and teach them to trust their instincts. Students know, especially, you know, high schoolers, middle and high schoolers, they know that it's wrong to divide students based on race and pit them against each other. So I think parents really have a key role in getting involved in education. And and it starts with talking to their own child and seeing what's coming home in the backpack.
2: Mm, Right. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, sometimes we forget about that. We think, oh, you know, run for school board and and those are all good things, too. But you're right. The best way to find out what's happening is to talk to your own kids. That's great. So the Social Studies Committee is expected to release a second version of the standards. We talked about that last week. Um, what are both of you doing on behalf of the American Experiment to combat, to combat this agenda? And then how can parents act to oppose these standard proposals?
3: So I, I would just start by saying that all of all of this uh, got underway when American Experiment really became the only organization in Minnesota to bring awareness to the social studies revision process that began last fall, mm-hmm. and so uh, our efforts, you know, helped. Bring attention, I think, to the proposed standards, mm-hmm. but all of the the timeline revision and and the success that we've seen with a delayed implementation, which I'll we'll speak to in a minute, that is all largely in part because Minnesotans got involved
0: mm-hmm. and and
3: voiced concern and submitted feedback to the Department of Ed and the Social Studies Committee. So while there are still Minnesotans who aren't aware this revision process is underway, mm-hmm. I think part of what parents can do to oppose the standard proposals is just uh, get the word out that they're being rewritten. And they can track that through American Experiments, raise our standards, mn.com website that will analyze the content of the second draft and help Minnesotans submit feedback. And so, yes, I think the biggest way is for parents to submit that public feedback. We saw it be largely successful on, on the first draft and we think it is equally important and imperative for the second draft and so stay stay aware of when that draft is released. We'll keep you up-to-date on what is included or not included in the second draft and how to submit feedback through that, our campaign website that I mentioned, raiseourstandardsmn.com. And you know if these standards are are adopted we will see- see their implementation delayed because, as I mentioned, of all the feedback. And so the legislature has delayed implementation of revised academic standards that weren't already implemented at the beginning of this year, and social studies standards uh, are included in that. So they've delayed the implementation until June of
2: 2023. That's good. So it's at least gotten an extra...
3: Yes. So that doesn't that doesn't affect the revision process. So the Department of Ed and the Social Studies Committee, they can continue to revise and publish draft standards and even move a final version through the rulemaking process but schools will not have to implement that until 2023. And this really gives us more time to hold Governor Tim Walls and the department and the committee accountable yep, for that's their great. efforts to that's great. replace this knowledge. Yep.
2: Yeah. On that note, we have to go. Thank you so much, Catherine and Katrin. We are so appreciative of you joining us these last two weeks. Good night.